I'm Jody Nisnik, and you're listening to So Much More. In John 16, 12, Jesus stated, there is so much more I want to tell you. He then pointed to the spirit as the one who would come, who would further his teaching by bringing his word to life for us. So much more creates space for God to reveal his truth through his word. Today, I'm excited to have Pastor Reese Woodruff with me as we have a conversation around Acts 4, 8 through 13 and what the Lord is teaching him. Reese is the Associate Pastor of Christ Freedom Church, which is a three-year-old church plant in Louisville, Texas. He's also a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, and he's an incredibly insightful teacher of God's word. He is married to Meredith, and they have three precious little people. Um, One of them looks exactly like you, Reese. Every time I see him, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's like little mini you. Um, So anyway, welcome, Reese. We're really glad to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, glad and honored to be a part of this journey. Thanks. Well, um, tell us a little bit more about who you are, Reese, before we dive in. Well, along with being uh, one of the pastors at our church, like you said, I'm married to Meredith. We're about to celebrate our 10-year anniversary, which is exciting. Nice. And when we are not wrangling our three kiddos, there's six, three, and two. So there's a lot of energy. There's always a whirlwind of activity in our home. Um, and so whenever we're not trying to corral that or pastoring at the church, I like to cook. I like to garden. Just this past weekend, Jody, I planted my plants and I'm excited for the harvest, hopefully, if the rabbits don't destroy it. So I like gardening, cooking. I love to read. I always have a book in hand. I've always been very much of a learner. Um, a little more cerebral at times as a person. And so when I have time, you'll see me with uh, my head in a book. You probably should connect with my husband because he loves to garden and you guys can like <laughs> oh, wow. okay. have a competition for the best summer tomatoes or something. So um, yes, he also put the tomatoes in the ground. I can see them out my window right now. They're <laughs> doing great. great. All right. Well, let me give us a quick reminder of the passage. I went into a little more context for us when we did the actual meditation on Acts 4, um, but just as like a a quick running start, uh, Peter has just healed someone and he's being called to account for that. um, And he's basically being brought to trial. Um, by the religious rulers and authorities in the community because they are very threatened by this preaching about Jesus. So, um, and Peter, this is obviously in Peter's story. This is after Jesus's death, resurrection, and ascension. And Peter's really just no turning back at this point. He is on fire, preaching, doing all the things that Jesus had trained him to do and called him to do and spoke over him. And so that's what he's doing here. So let me read this for us. It's Acts 4. 8 through 13. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, 
if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Okay, so there's a lot of fun and interesting things that are happening in that passage. And we we did this as a Lectio Divina, asking the Lord to just draw us in and help us notice a word or a phrase. So Reese, when you did that, tell me where you went. Yeah, well, like you said, there's so many phrases, parts of this passage that you could really zoom in on. Um, but the word that stood out to me somewhat surprisingly uh, was the word astonished in verse 13, mm-hmm. um, describing the religious leaders' reaction uh, to uh, Peter. It says that they were astonished after he shared with them because of two reasons. One, because they, he was confident even as an unschooled, ordinary man, the text says. What really stood out to me is their surprise at his courage in uh, the moment. And if you think about it, in the verse verse 7, we see who all is in that council. And it's essentially the exact same people that days earlier crucified uh, Jesus. And so, Peter literally is in the midst, surrounded by these forces of death that had opposed his savior. And yet staring death in the face, if you will, he has extreme courage, extreme boldness, so much so that even they are uh, astonished at it. Um, And so, yeah, that really stood out to me and, and specifically just the contrast, the change in Peter's life, again, in a very short period of, um, time where, as we know from the account of Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts, same, same author, um, he talks about at the beginning, end of his gospel, how Peter's in the courtyard while Jesus is under trial again before these same people and how he denies the Lord. And interestingly, the people that confront Peter, they say, this man has been with Jesus, right? You have been with Jesus. And he says, no, I haven't. And then here at the end of this passage, but again, it's the same author. I think it's a verbal echo, but it ends Luke saying they were astonished and took note that he had been with Jesus. Oh, so good. Yeah. So the exact same situation almost. um, But this time Peter has gone from a coward (laughs) to extremely courageous. And so that's really what, again, surprisingly stood out to me. I feel like the Lord kind of impressed upon me was how bold Peter was in the face of death and really got me wrestling with, okay, what accounted for that? Mm. Where did the, where did the change come um, that transformed this man in yeah. a very short period of time? Yeah. I, I love that you brought out that parallel 
of when he denies Jesus. And the interesting thing too, as you were saying that, as I was thinking, the person that's confronting him is actually someone with zero power. It's this, the lowest of the low, Mm. it's a young slave girl that's going, don't you know him? And he's like, I have no idea who that is. And here he's actually standing strong in the face of power. These people actually Mm -hmm. can do something to him. I mean, maybe that girl could have ratted him out or something and, and gotten Mm -hmm. people that could have done something. And so perhaps there was some sort of threat there, but, um, but these people actually do hold power. And so it is, it's such a radical transformation in his life. Um, And they were the ones that crucified Jesus. I love that you pointed that out as well. That's such helpful context as we're thinking about this passage. So I'd love to know as, as Jesus kind of is impressing this upon you, this, this, you know, transformation from being a coward into being courageous. Where did you guys go with I started asking, you know, the question, why, why the change? How do you mm-hmm. account for this? And two things popped up that really, um, eventually led me to just, you know, applying it kind of to my own heart. But the first one was, I think that Peter had witnessed the defeat of the greatest enemy of every human, which is the enemy of death. Mm. And even earlier in this chapter, it says that the Sanhedrin arrested Peter because he was preaching about the resurrection of the dead. And so during um, before the death of Christ, obviously Christ was hinting at this stuff with Peter, totally didn't get it, but he had seen his savior go to the cross, die, be buried, and to everyone's surprise, defeat death, the, the, the greatest of all um, the forces of evil. And so, and he had touched Jesus, he had interacted with him. So I think that Peter's courage um, primarily, or at least part of it, was that he had a secure hope uh, in the resurrection. And that was just really encouraging for me because I think that um, the older I've gotten, and I'm only 34, so I'm not super old. You're very young. But I think part of this, yeah, <laughs> um, part of it comes with age, but I'd say over the last probably five years, uh, one, because I'm a pastor, and so you typically hear about the best parts of people's life and the hardest parts of people's life. But then just as I've had family members and friends and spouses of friends get diagnoses and pass away suddenly, death, I feel like has become more and more of a reality, more and more inescapable, um, as I think it is for anyone as they age. I think it's a natural um, part of life. And even though I believe in the hope of the resurrection, I still, in parts of my heart, don't really believe it. Mm. Uh, One of my favorite encounters is the guy that says, hey, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Yes, I love that Um, too. And in the face of something like death, um, yeah, I often, I resonate with that. I believe that Christ raised from the dead for a variety of reasons and that the hope of the resurrection is real and gloriously true. And yet death is a, a scary thing. Mm-hmm. And so my prayer, even in reading this, was just a gentle reminder that I do have the hope of a physical, personal, uh, perfected future that waits me on the other side of death. Uh, the same hope that I think 
gave Peter such courage uh, in this moment. And my prayer has just been, God, make me, make me even more courageous mm-hmm. in the faith, face of death. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one mm-hmm. of the places I feel like the Lord kind of took me just in reflecting on this. I think you're right. I do think we get some of that. Oh, I don't know. Youthful optimism <laughs> that thinks that we're going to mm-hmm. just live forever knocked out of us as we age. But I also think going through pandemic and watching wars unfold in front of us and things like that have knocked some mm-hmm. of those edges off as well. And it does make you think to maybe not cling to this world as much as we might otherwise. So yeah, thanks for that reminder. That's really good. Uh, t- tell me what else about this passage drew you in. The other thing, again, thinking, how do you count for this change in, in Peter? One was the hope of the resurrection that he encountered firsthand. Um, but the second was just the radical grace and mercy of Jesus that Peter had experienced mm-hmm. yeah. that I think created in him a unwavering loyalty, a more solid loyalty than obviously he had the first time around. Because again, this is act two um, in this very similar situation. And I went back and read the account of Luke's account of Peter after his denial. And this has stood out to me in the past, but it just, for some reason, this almost moves me to tears every time I read this. But after Peter denies Jesus for the third time, Luke writes in there, says, and the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. Yeah. And then the narrative goes on. And I just imagine that moment, the shame, the just utter, I want to crawl in a hole and never come out that Peter must have felt Mm -hmm. in that moment and that he abandoned his savior. And then without words, he just, you know, looked at him and you can imagine just the, the nagging you know, pit in his stomach between that moment and the restoration of Peter later in the book of Luke that he uh, would have found. But Peter was restored. That happened. And Jesus comes back. And in this amazing passage, ask him, you know, do you love me three times? And Peter, I, you know that I love you, Lord. And then at the end of it, Jesus says, follow me. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how the whole story started. And so, I mean, just what, what radical grace and mercy that at his most dire moment, uh, Peter abandoned his savior. And yet Jesus says, follow me. Let's pick back up. The invitation goes out again, follow me. And I mean, if you have that encounter, then your courage is going to be more stable. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I can just imagine Peter in this moment having experienced that whole new level of grace. Um, just saying, how, you know, how Jesus did that for me. How could I abandon him now again? You know, how could I not be loyal to him right now? Um, and so, yeah, that ministered to me just because we reject the Savior, uh, past and present. Before I came to see Jesus as the Son of God and follow him, I had been rejecting him. Uh, but even now, like anytime I run to something else for salvation, anytime mm-hmm. life is hard and instead of running to the grace of God, I run to something else that is destructive in the end or dehumanizing in the end. Uh, in those moments, I'm rejecting Jesus as the one and only Savior over my life. And yet 
Jesus is quick to say, follow me. Like whenever mm-hmm. we come back to him and repent. And so I was just reminded of the amazing grace that we sing about all the time yeah. in church. But that if Jesus was merciful towards Peter, who rejected him in the moment of his death, Christ is merciful to me. And That's I don't right. think there's any limit um, to the times that he'll say, you know, come back. Let's pick up where we left off. Yeah. I love that you brought out the fact that Jesus looks at Peter, that has always struck me. And I've pondered what was in Jesus's eyes. I can Hmm. easily think of how I would have felt, which is exactly what you described. Um, But I think what was in Jesus's eyes, knowing who he is, knowing he's the God that says, follow me again and again and again, and I forgive you again and again and again. I think there was just this, I think he was heartbroken because he knew how Peter felt. I mean, now Mm. Jesus is obviously in one of the worst moments of his entire life. Um, So I'm sure there was a lot packed into that look, but Mm. um, because I don't want to discard the humanity, the the realness of what Jesus was actually feeling in that moment too. But I think he looked Mm. on Peter, who's basically his best friend, his closest companion. And I think he felt so sad because he knew how much he would have to overcome having Mm. done that to somebody he loved and rejected in that way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a powerful thought to think about the look in the eyes of Christ, what he was thinking, because Jesus before any of that happened says, you're going to deny me. And but I've, but I've prayed for you, you know, Yeah, you'll be okay. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a powerful thought just to think about what was going on in the mind of Christ. And I'm sure it was pain, sadness over the abandonment of his friend, but also great pity and compassion um, for what it would be like for Peter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you, I'm grateful for the way that we see Christ model in his relationship, his real relationship with Peter, forgiveness and reconciliation and the reestablishing of the calling, the reminding of the calling, because then we see Peter going and doing what God created him to do and gifted him to do. And there is such fruit that comes. I mean, like we need to all thank Peter (laughs) because he was the one filled with the spirit, preaching the gospel. 5,000 people are coming to know the Lord. 3,000 people are coming to know the Lord. I mean, just, just this great impact. Um, And of course, you know, God could have used anyone to do that, but I think Peter's faithfulness has impacted our lives. Um, And I'm really Mm -hmm. grateful for that. And seeing his courage is really inspiring to me because he was in the face of real danger and he was willing to lose his life. It didn't matter at that point. I mean, of course it mattered. He didn't want to experience pain either. Nobody does, but he was all in for whatever that meant. Yeah. And that's really inspiring Mm -hmm. to me. Well, anything else that you want to say about the passage? Yeah. I mean, just a thought, even as you were sharing right there, Jody is just thinking about the relationship between Jesus and Peter as a friendship. I and mean, that's an interesting thing to, to study. I haven't followed that thread much, but just as a, a friendship of two, but just how 
Jesus did this with other people, but with Peter, if you think about how often he spoke identity into Peter mm. and reminded him of his calling before Peter even knew about his calling, that's just such a great model for us as we walk um, with our brothers and sisters that, you know, that's right. you're going to be called Peter now uh, because I'm going to, you're going to be a rock. I'm going to build the church upon you. And, you know, follow me at the beginning, follow me after he's always reminding Peter, this is who you are, even when you don't see it. And even whenever you fail and slip up, which is when we most need other people to tell us who we are. Yeah. When we're struggling, when we failed, we need the voice of someone from the outside speaking those words to us. And it's just a cool angle to see Jesus doing that for Peter over and over again. And to your point, the the fruit that comes from reminding each other of our names, if you will, this is who you are. This is who God has made you to be. I mean, the ripples of that we're we're feeling today. Mm -hmm. That's really good. And I think it is such an encouragement and a a reminder for us that we do need to speak life-giving words over people speak truth. I see this in you, um, this gifting. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've had people do that in my life and I would not be the same person if people had not spoken true and kind things um, Mm -hmm. that I think were spirit inspired in many ways. Um, Yeah. Okay. So I would love to talk to you a little bit about your calling as a pastor and your vocation. Tell me a little bit about how you got led into that particular calling. Yeah. So for me, I don't have one of those Paul on the road to Damascus moments where one day I wanted to be a firefighter and the next day, you know, I'd signed up to be a pastor. (laughs) It was much more of a, a slow process um, but I think it starts in high school. I grew up in the church, but it really was in my junior year of high school when the truth of the gospel stories really became alive to me. Up until that time, I knew intellectually I was a sinner and that therefore I needed someone from the outside to save me and make me right with God. But it wasn't until uh, high school when I actually had an, an experience of my sinfulness without going into all the details, um, that I realized, okay, I really am in desperate need of forgiveness, of salvation. And the stories I'd I'd grown up with my entire life, you know, popped into color. Um, And I really experienced the grace of the gospel for the first time. And so I think that really my calling into ministry started from there, because whenever I saw the sweetness of the free grace of Christ. I just wanted to spend in some way, I wanted to spend my time showing other people what I had experienced, the radical mercy of the Lord. And so um, went through college, got my degree in finance, but below the surface, I feel like the Lord was just kind of cultivating that desire to invite people into the truth of the gospel to show them what I had seen and what God was continuing to, to show me as I was growing. So it was very much under the surface. And when I look back, it was kind of one decision here and one decision there. Often to your point, um, 
based off of the encouragements and the words of people saying, hey, I don't know what I want to do. Well, why don't you go to seminary for one year? <laughs> you know, I'm in seminary. I, I want to do something in ministry. I have no idea what I want to do. Well, why don't you come intern with me in the young adults ministry and stuff like that? Um, so it was a slow process, but somewhere along the way, God gave me much more uh, assurance that I wanted to shepherd mm. the people of the local church. He gave me a heart for the local church in particular is God's kind of plan A for the advancement of the kingdom. And so my, my passion for a local people began to grow, shepherding those people. And then along the way, really um, got it experience teaching in different capacities and really fell in love with that too. So not the most exciting story, but it was a slow guiding of the Lord one step at a time. I think that's actually how most of them are though. Paul's a very rare story. (laughs) I think we kind of just follow one step at a time and God reveals the next step. Someone was telling me that, you know, the verse, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And they were saying in the darkness, when you have a lantern lighting the path, it just shows you a step or two. It doesn't show you where the whole path is going. If you need a light, you're in the dark. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that is so profound. (laughs) I never thought of that. But that I think is how he reveals his plans for us. And we are faithful to take the next step. And that's exactly what you did. So I think your story is extraordinary in that way because he showed up and did it, right? Yes, yes. (laughs) Which is always amazing. It's always amazing when the Lord shows up in our lives and leads us. Okay, the very beginning, and I'm going to put you on the spot, so you may not have a good answer for me right off the bat, but at the very beginning, you're like telling us that you always have your nose in a book if you can possibly. So I'd love to know what are you reading and what would you recommend everybody read? Ooh, that's a dangerous question, Jody. Cause I, I love, know. I love talking about books. Okay. Um, so right now I'm reading a book by Wendell Berry called uh, Jay Crow. It's a, it's a, a fiction book. Probably the most impactful book I've read in the last year, which I think maybe you have read is the ruthless elimination of hurry by John Mark Comer. Uh, he's a uh, author out of, or a pastor out of Portland. Um, but yeah, it's a great book about slowing down in a nonstop chaotic culture. Yeah. One, one of the quotes in there, he talks about how love has a speed and the speed of love isn't fast and hurried and frenzied. The speed of love is slowing down, lingering, sitting with persons, whether that person is God or our spouse, or our friends, or our church community. So uh, it's a really, it's a really great book. That's a, a fun, pretty easy read that I'd recommend. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I have read it, and I had forgotten about that. The speed of love is not at a harried pace. Part and mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's so good. Such a good reminder. So thanks for that. Uh, speaking of that, I mean that's what you're doing with this podcast. And one of the things I really love about it is that you're helping people not just take in more information about the scriptures, although that's inevitably a part of it, but encouraging us to sit with the truth and savor the truth and taste and see that the Lord is good. And so I love 
uh, this podcast. I know my wife listens to it. And as a mom of three little kids really benefits from getting to linger in the word as she's doing dishes or doing whatever. So thanks for what you're doing. Oh, well, thanks. That's super encouraging. And yes, it is a heartbeat of mine. We have enough information and information is good. Absolutely. It is good. But I think sometimes we do need to just sit and savor. So Mm. yes, you summed that up well. Well, Reese, it has been really great having you on the podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. And so thank you. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And friends, I also just want to thank you for joining me today on so much more because we do believe that Jesus has so much more to say to us and we are creating space to listen. Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take or art to make or perhaps businesses to build. It's time we start testifying truth unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast, which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. If you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, search and follow the Messenger Movement Podcast on your favorite podcast platform today or lifeaudio.com.